Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love. Self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hello, hello. Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, a self-proclaimed love extremist. I am so happy to be here today sitting with my dear friend, Ryland Engelhart. He is the mission fulfillment officer and co-owner of Cafe Gratitude in Gracias Madre, two of the dopest restaurants in Los Angeles and beyond, in fact. He is a co-founder of Kiss the Ground, a nonprofit that educates and advocates about the connection between soil, human, and planetary health. He is also co-creator of the award-winning transformational documentary film, May I Be Frank. And he's an entrepreneur and activist using his restaurants as a platform to inspire more gratitude into our culture. He speaks on sacred commerce, tools for building community and regeneration. And a couple really important points. He's recently a father with a woman who he's been married to for eight years and his mission statement is written on his forearm. So what is that? Let's first hear, what do we got? Uh, It says to me, uh, be on one arm and love on the other. And where that comes from is that I know, I knew at one moment that I would forget what life was about. And like that film Memento, where you have amnesia every day or every night, and you'd need to leave notes for who to be and how to be and who you are. I left the note on my forearm that wouldn't go away so that I could remember who I am and what I'm here for. And uh, yeah, I have the them placed in a specific place where uh, the guy... David Carradine from that old school show, Kung Fu, uh, where when he he got trained as a Shaolin monk and then he, uh, after he completed his training, he left the monastery and he had to pick up this large hot pot to move it so he could depart the monastery and it burned two uh, dragons into his forearms. And that's the location of where I put this, uh, this message. And actually my dad has the same tattoo and this was, um, we, we had done a, we had done a, a, a men's group workshop, weekend workshop in the Santa Cruz mountains. And it was about initiation into what it is to be a man and masculinity and what could be the potential, um, mission of how a new view on masculinity could be. And through a, a meditation and vision quest, uh, this declaration of being love was the new expression of masculinity and uh, to 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 kind of sanctify and um, put that into existence, I asked my dad if he'd go get that tattoo with me, and we went down to Twenty Fourth and Petrero in, in the Mission in San Francisco, and had some big Polynesian guys tattoo uh, "Be Love" on our arms, <laughs> our virgin little uh, little arms. 
Can you put be love on my arms? Dude, you are the perfect <laughs> guest for extremist love. Like, honestly, this is so amazing. I, we met, actually, speaking of men's groups, in the Korean spa and a men's salon. It was That's a group right. of men. We were all chilling at the Korean spa um, talking about spirituality and how that was infused into our lives. And you spoke on the culture of Cafe Gratitude and how spirituality played a role in your leadership in that. But before we get into that, I just think the connection between the men's group, it's like always there's a thread there. Mm. And also the fact that you have be love on your arms is like divine intervention saying like, yes, I'm you're made for this conversation. So I'm so glad that you're here and we're able to talk about it. And I hope we can get into some stories that we haven't yet shared. Um, I'm sure there's a lot, a lot to share. Um, but I, I, Wanted to just backtrack a little bit and just kind of get a feel. What is love to you? How do you define love? Mm, great question. Uh, how do I define love? Uh, let's see. Mm, well, my mom has a little song that she sings and it says, Love is the answer, love is the answer, no matter what the question is. <laughs> so, what is it? Love is gentle, love is kind, uh, love is compassion, love is strength, love is passion, love is the space that holds all things without judgment. Wow. That's powerful. Inviting us to know goodness, kindness, virtue, generosity. It's, it's the experience of all that I have is all that I have to give. Because if I have something, I only want it to be seen felt and experienced by another. Hmm. I, so it's really, it's kind of in your view, this all encompassing energy of goodness and of giving mm -hmm. and has many emotional qualities, but is also tied to action is tied to, um, the sense of not only having a space without judgment, but actually bringing certain qualities into that space. Yeah, it's 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 standing up for for justice. It's it, it sacrifices itself for goodness mm -hmm. in action. Mm -hmm. The embodiment of a being that stands up for goodness, sacrificing the self. That is love. That that that's, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's such an uh, an amazing eternal quality that I think Rumi probably in my world has been one of the best articulators of the relationship between human beings and our relationship to the divine, and that love is that connection between us and the divine. And also it sounds as though love is also the absence of us, 
right? You're, you're basically saying the sacrifice of self for the other, for the collective. Mm-hmm. And in that, what what is that what is that self is that self the ego is that self like uh is it your personality is it your needs you know is is it is it all, is it kind of to you all about putting the needs of the collective the family the partner before your own where, where, where yeah, does that fall? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I was having a conversation with my human resource person from <laughs> Cafe Gratitude. And Bring Rust- it to business, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was. We were actually doing a, a, a kind of a practice, a, a work that we do in the work environment with our leadership, which is having them discover their calling. Mm. And she was discovering, you know, what her. She was, I was asking her questions to kind of inquire into what what makes her tick, what is her purpose, what. What is she, what is the um, tip of the spear, the pinnacle experience for her life? And, uh, you know, she was saying, you know, generosity, giving. And then, you know, she then articulated that oftentimes we give and where we're giving doesn't include ourselves in the, the participants of receiving that giving. Mm-hmm. And in turn, you know, that's what oftentimes ends up being the burnout of activism, the burnout of, you know, most work where we're, we're, we're fighting against uh, a status quo or fighting against something that is, and we're, you know, we don't include ourselves in what we're fighting for. Um, and ultimately we can't sustain, uh, we can't sustain that fight. Yeah, I, literally, I just, I just had uh, this experience. Literally, was it yesterday at Cafe Gratitude? I was walking out, and there was two beautiful women sitting at a table, and someone dropped their sunglasses, and and for whatever reason they didn't go down, and I went down and grabbed it, and I just gave it to them. I, I put it on their thing, and they said thank you, and I I could see there was an opportunity to kind of like revel in being seen for being this good person. And then there was also, and then there was this kind of whisper and there was just where I just, I just, I just said, and just kept, and just kept moving, not in disregarding, but not, but it wasn't about trying to get something in return. And I saw the temptation for that. And I saw the, the opportunity for that. And Mm -hmm. there was just this joy of being service for the service for the sake of service. Mm -hmm. And that that was the gift. That was the experience. Wow. That, that's really powerful. And I will speak to a lot of service-related interactions that I've had where simply making eye contact and get, offering a smile back creates almost like the ping-pong game of uplift mm-hmm. where, yes, I think there's something to being of service and there's, a, there's a schools of thought that say, you know, you keep your eyes down you're in meditation, you're kind of inward mm-hmm. in, in, in grace. Whereas there's the other school, which is you radiate grace. And that is really about being alert and being able to engage in any moment so that not only you can receive, but you can give. And so perhaps your giving was in the picking up of the glasses. Um, I remember buying some shoes in New York recently and the guy was checking my receipt to make sure the shoes I bought were the shoes that were on the receipt. And he was kind of a big security guard dude that was kind of intimidating um, physically. Yeah. But 
I just smiled and said thank you to him. And he looked at me and he smiled back. He said, no problem. You're welcome. And just that alone, that to me was the access point to love in New York City. Mm. And I kept on experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're calling to is kind of where maybe one might say the service industry has this opportunity and often, you know, often you see it where people are kind of craving that human to human interaction. And it's such a simple exchange. And, and, and yet it can often, it can go in either direction. Sometimes it can go noticed and sometimes it can just pass you by, but other times it can really go deep and really awaken a sense of ping pong love, you know? Yeah. The thing I was just thinking as you were sharing is that because we mostly are trapped in conditional love mm -hmm. and I would reiterate that we're trapped by it. Yeah. The experience is not that of love or freedom. Huh. And so those moments when we do express service or love or care or uh, kindness with no, no, it's, there's a benevolence. There's, there's an, there's an unconditional nature that we experience, which is, outside of the trap <laughs> right and it's like oh my god this is good uh yeah. you know i remember i remember we we do a, a thanksgiving at cafe gratitude mm -hmm. uh where it's a free meal it's my favorite day of the year because literally it's i don't have to be worried of you know if enough people come or do we you know we're labor percentages it's it's only about service mm. and about community and caring and 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 loving thy neighbor and, you know, we, we, I used to sing, everyone would come in, I'd say, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in my heart. Ooh. Bring the little fishes, bring the sharks. There's room for all of them in my heart. <laughs> uh, that's, it's a, that's a song from, it's an Irish playwright or a songwright, uh, this guy named Mike, Mike, uh, oh God, Mike Scott. Yeah, Mike Scott. Nice. And the Water Boys. I love that. Um, and actually, there's a, a poster at Cafe Gratitude Venice that has that. Um, it looks like two beings in the, this angelic world behind them, and it says, "Bring them all into my heart." Oh wow! Um, but uh, but all that to get to all that drama to get to this uh, story of this woman, and you know she probably lived in the Palisades or Malibu, and uh, and she came to Cafe Gratitude and she served for you know, six or eight hours. And mm. she like came over to me and, you know, and people like grab your hand and like, they were like grabbing on your hand. They really want to communicate something strong. And she was like, this feels so good. Mm. I love to serve people. I need more of this in my life. Right. Um, and yeah, she, you know, she had a whole world that, you know, was based on, you know, what she would do and what she would get out of it and all this stuff. And then, you know, she came to Cafe Gratitude and she was just, you know, bringing people plates of food. And she had the experience of, wow, this, this nature of giving and being of a contribution and uplifting people through smiles and through food and through kindness and through the attitude of love, uh, this this is this is an anomaly experience. I don't experience this regularly in my life because I'm mostly in the trap of conditional uh, doing to get something in return. Right. Well, and every other day of the year 
Cafe Gratitude operates as a semi-traditional restaurant, right? Yeah. And so there's currency exchanged and the, and the people that are working there are, are, are employees of the business. So how do you maintain that sense of giving when the money comes into play? It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very, right? it's muy difficult. <laughs> yeah, super. Um, yeah, wow. Um, you know, we, we've been doing this for thir- almost 14 years. Yeah. And we have a business model we've called Sacred Commerce. And we coined it uh, that we're uh, awakening love in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a, it is as Ru- another Rumi quote. Uh, it's a big foolish project. <laughs> it's to to bring uh, a ideal and a vision of love and service and you know being unconditional in an environment where you have a lot of conditions. You have you know all the legal constructs of business in the state of California and you have handbooks and you have language and you have, uh, you know, all these different things and you have it. And, and so, yeah, one of, one of the most challenging things is, uh, holding a, a group or a community accountable to who we're being because mostly the world operates with holding people accountable to what you do and that's what you're held accountable for is what you do. Mm. But we, we aspire to create an environment where the job and the product is actually an experience of gratitude mm. and that we can't invite or offer a product that we're not being ourselves. Right. But yet people are like, don't tell me how to act. Don't, I can I can say these steps of service or I can give you the right amount of cash, but I don't want to have a particular attitude about it. Right. Um, and it's uh, it, it it's it's a it's a it's a delicate nuance. And uh, you know the you know the 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 best way that you know there's there's two kind of primary things that I see as you know one if if we have to we have to demonstrate it. We have to demonstrate it in the architecture of the business that we care about people, that we care about them, and we care about them caring about our guests. Right. And um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult task, and we've been we've been you know passionately uh, working at it for for years, and you know one of the you know, one of the things that we're just seeing right now is in the same way that there's a place to point to for how to do everything, there is actually a way that we're saying we're committed to being. And if you're not being kind, generous, uh, grateful, positive, responsible, solution-oriented in, your, in who you're being, that you're not going to be able to deliver on the product right. that we've said that we, who we are. And so it's not personal. It's just, you can't, you can't represent something you're not willing to be. Mm. And again, that's, that's a kind of a radical gray area, which can get a lot of pushback. 
you can't tell me how I should be psychologically. Oh, you're trying to, you know, brainwash, you know. Sure. It just becomes very. Uh, yeah, people talk about culture, right, in companies and how you do maintain a company culture. And that's essentially what you're speaking of. And you have a particular culture of being that is really oriented around the value system that you want to operate under in the business. And you have how many restaurants now? We have seven in Southern California, and then we have one sister restaurant in the Bay Area, and then one kind of handshake franchise in Kansas City. Which I just went to. You I was did? driving across the country, and we went there. It was amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it was great to be a Catholic gratitude in Kansas City. <laughs> so, um, I just, yeah, so I, I guess a question that I've been grappling with is how hierarchy exists in that culture of empowerment. Um, and you just said you were having a conversation with one of your managers around purpose and how it's so important for your team to find their purpose and to feel aligned with purpose. And so often in our culture, there's this sense of we need to have purpose that is all oriented around growth and expansion and becoming successful. And they might have to pause because they yeah, may need let's to press move pause. the car. Hold on one sec. Come on in. Oh, it's locked. Oh. Oh. You're comfortable? Yeah. Well, I was in the movie, but Eddie, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, no, I'm going to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Check one, two. Here we are back again with the Love Extremist. <laughs> Yeah, Love Extremist Radio. Okay. So we were talking about the role of love in the context of leadership. And to me, hierarchy is an interesting thing and something that quickly delineates roles um, and often is assumed to be really necessary in operating a successful business. And you have, you said, I think eight, eight restaurants um, plus two or including the, the two. Well, we're, I'm, I'm part of the leadership team that oversees seven restaurants. Right. Uh, then there's two that are outside of that, but all part of the family per se. And so there's an, an infusion of values that comes through you and through your family and what you've built and, and the value set of Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre that is very much present in the language used on the menus and the way that we interact with the space. And oftentimes the service is in alignment with that. And there's also some hierarchy involved, right? There's the traditional restaurant hierarchy of having a manager and um, you are the, the mission fulfillment officer and there's various roles there. How do you see empowerment and love kind of and, and, and alignment of values, especially as you talk about helping your team fulfill their ultimate purpose? Um, is that always in service of the values that you 
you know, subscribe to or, or, or have built around this business. And yeah, how, how does the hierarchy support or challenge? Yeah. So I think the, how the hierarchy supports is if we have lots of parts working on one thing, you're going to have a lot of different ideas about how to get something done. Right. And then you can have chaos. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the part of where it works is, all right, this is the way we're going and everybody gets on board with that. Um, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, that gives direction and that gives, uh, clarity. Problem is, we all have, as the Buddhists say, 84,000 egos. <laughs> uh, so More than enough to go around. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, the challenge is in leadership, there's lots of temptation to, there's lots of temptation to just want it, um, get your job done and that oftentimes is making the most money by spending the least money, at least amount, yeah, making the most money. And so, yeah, that, that then becomes um, a trickle down effect of uh, my only goal in my leadership role is to organize these chess pieces to deliver me my result and ultimately yeah, the human beings who are a part of that organization aren't valued, aren't honored, aren't, um, aren't respected. And in turn, yeah, you have, um, what we mostly have in, uh, much of, I think the business world is just serving that ideal of growth, profit, expansion, and not the qualitative experience of the lives of our people and the quality of the earth as we utilize her resources. Right. And so it's a, it's a very, very interesting equation um, that I for sure, well, I've been delving into it for 13 years, don't feel like I have at all like a clear blueprint that I could say, this is what you need to do. Right. Um, and the challenging part is that it, it really is, it comes down to consciousness and, you know, is the consciousness of the leadership continuously doing enough self-reflective work to recognize that they want to make decisions that honor and recognize the whole. Mm. And for the most part, that's probably not going to happen. So at least what the, the kind of second best thing, if, if we can't trust that the mind is always going to be upholding this holistic 
view of values and, 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 and what we can do is say at a moment in time, create some kind of agreement, declaration, mission, uh, that is built into the architecture, uh, of an organization and is held accountable to that. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like we're, we're, we're angels and will werewolves all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And if we can say when we're in an angelic state, we create some values and some commitments of what we're going to, how we're going to hold ourselves accountable. Right. And then when we're having a, a werewolf moment, we're at least beholden to, you know, what we've, what we've said. And again, this is in, in, again, this is not a perfect scenario, but that at least, um, and, and, and again, it, it comes down to, and I was literally just dealing with this today of how do we, how do we have the, um, the qualities of being the qualities of the, the, the attitude that we elicit while we're at work to be like, those are as accountable, we're as accountable to those as we are to, uh, you know, the, the steps of service. Right. And, and that, that, and, and then we have to hold ourselves accountable that that's not just what we want to be happening with the minions or the, you know, the, the, the employees, but actually what we need to hold ourselves accountable for. Right. And I think that's one of the most challenging things is we don't want to hold, we oftentimes don't want to hold the high standard for others because it allows us to get off the hook from living at that high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to look within before you can expect anything without. Right. Yeah. If, if you say, Hey, you have to be, you have to be grateful, positive, responsible, kind, respectful in, in your communication and attitude. And, and you gotta be, if to say that you gotta be up for being that yourself. For sure. Um, and you know, and that's, and that's a, that's a, that's a big game. That's a, that's a challenging thing to uphold uh, moment to moment, day to day, conversation to conversation while running a business, um, that, needs to make money. It needs to uphold certain standards. Uh, otherwise the business becomes obsolete and, you know, everyone loses their job and, you know, the whole thing falls apart. Are there werewolf moments when things kind of went awry <laughs> that you could potentially speak to that you learned from and, and kind of got better through? Mm, great question. Hmm. Mm, let's see. This is this is this is this is interesting. This just came up the other day. So, um, you know, as a, as a company, um, you know, we have certain restaurants that are doing really well, and some that are not doing well, mm-hmm. and some you know that are um, you know challenged, um, and. Um, because of some of the financial challenges that financial challenges in some of the re- the restaurants that puts a, a burden on the overall organization, right. and we chose to not do our company picnic this year, mm. and um, and 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 that was a big deal. It felt like a a real like 
you know, a loss in, you know, us really taking a stand of closing all of our restaurants, which, you know, seven restaurants, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it costs hundreds of thousands. You know, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it made a difference and we didn't do it. And there was, you know, there's multiple reasons, but one of the, one of the big reasons was we felt like we couldn't afford it because some of the restaurants are, you know, are, you know, challenged. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, and then I recently bought a Tesla, a model three. Right. And, uh, and, and dealing with this, you know, here I am an executive of a company that said, you know, we can't do something nice for our staff, but in the same year that I buy, you know, a $50,000 car mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of dealing with myself in, in that, with yeah. that. Yeah. And, 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 and grappling with like, am I not, am I not sacrificing enough for the betterment of all is, you know, was that, is that a selfish move? And, you know, in, in, um, and of course the, you know, on, on a lot of levels, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes sense in that, you know, I want to live a green sustainable life and Mm -hmm. I want to buy the best electric car I can. And, you know, all these, you know, justifications, but, um, you know, really, I think the thing that I'm looking at is where am I not willing to sacrifice my own comfort for the betterment of all? Mm. And what is, what is realistic? What, what can I, what can I realistically sacrifice that will really make a meaningful difference? You know, okay, I don't get a Tesla. Everyone gets a 25, you know, that's not, you know, it's not a, a, a real equation, but for me, it's like, what is the real inquiry? What is the inquiry of me looking at where am I willing to sacrifice for the empowerment, the, the, for the benefit of others? Right. And again, I, I feel like my life has been, a, 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 in a lot of ways, I've sacrificed a lot for mm-hmm. supporting others. I mean, you know, my life has been about service and how can I make a difference? And I can see that, um, you know, there's, there's moments of wanting to fall asleep to what it is like in some of the roles within my company and not wanting to be responsible to be present there so that I actually know what that is like so that I can actually see, is there something that I could do to improve that job or improve, um, that, uh, that pay rate or that, um, that quality of experience within, within, within this organization. Right. Um, and that didn't actually answer the question, which is the werewolf. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, really how to the werewolf of being usurped by, um, comfort and comfort and, um, and selfishness before really investigating how can I organizationally make some small incremental, small incremental benefit for everyone else. Sure. 
Well, there's also just the framing, right? There's, there's the lens. For example, in this show, we look at love in three frames, self-love, love in partnership, and love in the collective. And in your role as the collective loving father of Cafe Gratitude in this context, right? Perhaps you let yourself and maybe others down in showing up in a Tesla where while you couldn't have the company picnic. And yet in self-love, right, you, you know, hit a home run because you noticed, you know, this is an area where you can do better and you can have a, a great vehicle that both allows you to travel in comfort and style and also do good for the environment, right? So, and, and express your values through that. And so it's interesting because I think these things often come into con into conflict. Mm -hmm. For example, I was recently having a conversation with a friend about Elon Musk and he just gave a, a conversation with Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast. And it's interesting. I listened to it. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm excited to listen to it. And a lot of people look to Elon as this kind of Steve Jobs of our, of our moment and do this incredible thinker and leader. And yet I've heard anecdotally that, you know, family life maybe isn't so great or, you know, he might not be the best in the kind of interpersonal, maybe it's self-love, maybe it's partnership love. You know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him and I haven't done that investigation, but so often when you have someone who excels in certain frames, they might have much more challenge in other frames. And it's, it's interesting because right now we're in a time when judgment is falling upon, especially men and men of privilege and white men but also, you know, all of us around how we handle ourselves in our personal life. And that judgment affects our public life and our professional life. And it's, it's interesting how those lines bleed. And I don't know if that's just or not, but it, it, it's definitely just an observation I've made. And I know you work at, at a grand scale. So we haven't talked about Kiss the Ground, but I think it's worthwhile to just do a quick conversation about that because to me kiss the ground is about healing the planet and certainly cafe gratitude is as well but the impact that you're looking to make with kiss the ground is massive so could you give us a little bit of background around what that is quickly and then also kind of how you infuse some of the values of love into kiss the ground um and 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 how you can think on such a global scale like what's brought you to to that scale cool thank you uh, so, yeah, so Kiss the Ground is, is an expression of love. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's actually come to me that it, I always, since I got these tattoos and before these beloved tattoos, I knew that my life was about loving. And I was always questioning how, what action was I going to take to really demonstrate that love? And sure, Cafe Gratitude has been an expression of that and how I've showed up in the organization and as a manager and as a leader. And uh, yes, absolutely. But I, when, I, when I saw, I, I was in New Zealand uh, sitting in the audience of a, a panel discussion and it was called, Can Human Beings Sustain Themselves on Planet Earth? Mm -hmm. And out of the six people, five said essentially no with a few caveats, but, and then the, the sixth person spoke and said, what they're, what they're all referring to is, is true and accurate, but there's a blind spot. And that blind spot is soil. And that blind spot is that there's not more carbon now than there was before. 
carbon's not the enemy. We just have too much out of place. Mm. And the way that the planet has shifted and changes over millennia is actually been through the process of photosynthesis and carbon moving in different places. Mm -hmm. And right now we have the largest uh, influence on what's happening on the surface of our planet through agriculture. And that we could actually use agriculture, work with nature, be part of nature in understanding this agriculture or this ecological principle of how plants grab carbon, suck it in, send it, they make their bodies with it, they send it into their roots, and they send some of that carbon into the soil, and that soil is eaten by microorganisms, and that becomes stable carbon. Mm. And so when I saw the possibility that, that and, I, and, I, and I had this very kind of almost spiritual moment where I, I literally had this aha moment where I was like, wow, that's true, possible, and for some reason, I'm being tasked with having that mission to communicate this possibility as my mission. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously there, I really got, wow, the, the way that I could love the most people would be by healing the thing that is the most common ground to us all, which mm -hmm. is our soil. Wow. And that all civilizations or many civilizations have periled, have, have failed, have, have basically um, been diminished, have gone extinct because a mismanagement of our soil and that we're playing, on, we're playing that civilization game at a planetary level. Mm -hmm. And I'm known in my community as someone who's very optimistic, very hopeful, very buoyant. And for whatever reason, I saw, wow, this this is a horizon, this is a pathway that young people can see that we actually can heal and save the day. And it's not just, we, we, and, and the, the big kind of the aha is that, and why those five out of six scientists said we're doomed is because we can't get there from just a switching to alternative energy sources, more wind, more solar, more electric cars. Mm -hmm. That's one big component, absolutely. Mm. But we already have too much carbon out of place. And if we don't pull that carbon, draw that carbon down, then we don't have a hope. We don't have, we don't have, there's, there's, not a, there's not a hopeful future. But given that we actually do manipulate the surface or work with the surface of the earth, which is our agriculture, and that we could have this understanding and design our agriculture to be the greatest carbon capturing mechanism in the world. And that that actually gives us hope that it, life is not just about sustaining something, life's not just about doing less harm, but there's actually a way to work with nature in concert and actually heal and reverse and regenerate our soil and ultimately draw down enough carbon to uh, cool the planet significantly so we actually reverse the impacts of global warming. Yeah. And so, I mean, that just, you know, when you, when you get something like a lightning bolt in your, in your being where you're just like, this is real, true, and possible, and, and you just know that uh, 
you're meant to be a voice for it. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Kiss the Ground has been. It's just been this is possible, and people around the world of all different influence. You need to know this because I, 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 as someone who'd been selling organic food and knew that organic food was good for the plant and good for me, but didn't really get the capacity, the potentiality, the complete paradigm shift of there's a pathway to reverse things. Right. As Paul Hawkins says with, you know, and he really makes what I'm communicating valid with his book called Drawdown, which that term only exists inside of the, the, the idea of this idea of drawing down carbon um, with plants and trees and grasses and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, if we go off the, tr- the cliff going slow, we're still going off the cliff. Right. We actually need to turn the car around and just doing solar, wind, electric cars is just slowing us down. So we just off right. the cliff. Right. And, and, and there's, not, there's not a lot of inspiration around just slowing down our, um, our planetary death. Sure. So where are we at in this process? Like how, how, how is it going in terms of drawing down carbon on planetary you know scale in agriculture uh it's 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 happening at very small levels to date okay and the good news is that there is a zeitgeist of understanding Mm. and languaging that is regeneration and is regenerative agriculture Mm -hmm. which is a new paradigm of design in human beings' relationship to systems, ecology, which says human interaction with nature doesn't have to be just slightly harmful. It actually can be massively beneficial. Mm. And so uh, as someone who works deeply in the healthy food space, uh, in the last five years since we started Kiss the Ground, it's just remarkable how the conversation of soil, the conversation of regeneration, the idea that sustainability is not, can't be the destination because it's just slowing down and sustaining right. an already broken system, that regeneration is the reinvention, the revita- revitalization of where we currently are, which is pretty you know, badly damaged and destroyed mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ecosystem function. So that, that's what's exciting. And, and why, do I, why do I personally feel uh, lit up about it is, again, this is just my little bubble that I acknowledge, but Cafe Gratitude started 15 years ago and there was no such thing as cold brew coffee in the collective. And I remember doing cold brew coffee and have to explain to every guest and it was 15 years ago. And now I see 7-Elevens, their main billboard is cold brew coffee. So I'm like, you know, that's a, that's a total paradigm shift from zero to 60. So Again, I, I feel like we're I'm 15 years ago with cold brew coffee, sure. and but and yet the the billboard is the solution for climate change is drawdown and that we can actually reverse the problem through putting that carbon back in our soils. And I think that yeah, there, there's there's hope there. Well, and things are happening quickly, right? Like yeah. the social movements, technology change, like innovations are upon us. So I, I I'm with you, and I I think that planetary love. And that awareness and also the work you're doing to draw awareness to it is so important. So you've, 
evolved. I mean, from from being a studio manager wearing FUBU, driving a Mitsubishi Galant, <laughs> to being the kind of organic food guru in San Francisco and Southern California. Just quickly, what brought you to become like what what catalyzed your awareness of being a beacon for love? Because obviously you grew up in that, but mm -hmm. you, there was something in the kind of studio music world guy that maybe, I don't know, it sounds like maybe you went through a transformation. Yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely gone through a few transformations in my life. And the, you know, the, I went from running a recording studio in Hollywood at, at 20 years old, feeling like I was bigger than life and like uh -huh. I, to losing everything and getting a job as a hostess at Folly Your Heart in Granada Hills. Yes. And I remember, I remember the first celebrity who came in, who used to come into our studio, who was impressed by me that I was this young kid with this recording studio in Hollywood. And then I'm brown bagging at Folly Your Heart after uh. everything fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just fall from grace. Oh God! The I remember hero's that, journey. That, that moment of having to face like her confusion of why I was there and what I was doing. Yeah. And uh, I work here. I'm, I'm putting together your to-go order. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So it was uh, a humbling. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know this idea that, and I think you know we're all gonna have to bow to this like this idea that in life we have cycles of growth and we feel like we know a lot about something and then it's all taken away whether we spend our lives learning uh you know history and then we get alzheimer's and we lose our mind you know we we have to surrender and let go of everything that we identified with yeah. and um yeah, so you know, I, I I've definitely had some uh, ego deaths, um, and I you know I I, I know I, I I'm reticent to say I hope from I'm looking forward to the next one, but I mean on some sure, level I am, sure. but yeah, I, I also know that uh, once we identified something, it, it's wow, it's so hard to, uh, and I, I've even I, I've 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 had some premonitions of what it's going to be like to have to, you know, fall away from being the, the, the identification with like the Prince of Cafe Gratitude sure. and like, and, and that role that, you know, that pedestal, that thing that I get to care, walk around with and knowing like, I'm going to have to, I have to die to that. Right. <laughs> um, and just, uh, it's, it's, uh, and I, uh, yeah, it's, no, I know it's coming and I, and I, I intellectually know that I, I should look forward to it and embrace it. Right. But, uh, I, I also know that it's not that easy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I think uh, again, I've, I've, I've had some experiences of, um, creating something and then losing it all and, and then, seeing the beauty and the, the willingness and the ability to be dissolved, letting go of all that attachment and identification. Um, but then, you know, also having amazing role models for uh, saying, yeah, you, you, we, we have this, we have this, we have this, these life cycles and we get to 
play on planet Earth and we get to uh, make our life about something and may, you know, may we make it about, you know, again, back to Rumi's quote that start some big foolish project like Noah and, you know, kiss the ground is my big foolish project. The idea that we can, um, you know, shift the paradigm of agriculture and reverse global warming and somehow, you know, this little being over here thinks, you know, he's going to have something to do with it. And again, I, I could be fooling myself and I could be, you know, you know, aspiring towards, um, you know, being a catalyst for a historical shift. And, you know, again, I, I don't know, I, I could be completely in a delusion in my mind, but in my heart, I know that the mission and the, the intention for all people is good from the mission. And, you know, I, I, I want to stay aligned with that and try to stay out of, you know, making it about me because mm -hmm. I, I see the temptation for that in all leadership roles and the, you know, like, right. mm, and, and, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I've, I've actually had years of my life where I've, I've intentionally tried to stay out of being, uh, this personality leader, right. Um, because I can see, Mm, I'm tempted to become a cult leader. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen you walk into rooms with gaggles of beautiful women behind you and just being like, here I am, the prince of healthy food. Uh, yeah, so I, 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 I get that. And um, yeah, just trying to walk the delicate line of, can I be useful to make a meaningful difference on the planet? And can it not be, can I not identify with like, um, yeah, like me, the me that's made it happen. That's so great. Mm -hmm. And can I continuously die and dissolve to that? Well, um, still doing something great that's beneficial for many. And can I be humble enough to remember that it's not about me? Right. And, um, I, 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 I vacillate between, you know, th that, those two worlds and, uh, I'm, you know, I just try to be honest about it and, uh, humble and my wife is very strong and I, I architecturally I placed her in my life because I knew she will slay me down if I if I get if I if I try to become too self-important um and, and, and now your parents and you have a beautiful child that that can also keep you in check and keep you humble and and remind you of the unconditionality right of just giving mm -hmm. yeah awesome. so mm -hmm. um yeah, this has been great. Thank you, Ethan. Dude, yeah. So I, I just want to say sharing this hour with you and having this conversation. I mean, I've always known with tattoo, be love on your forearms. It's like you're the perfect person to speak on this. And I, I want to say you really do radiate a love that feels so much greater than your body um, in the projects that you do and the way that you speak and the, the passion that you have for this world. So thank you. And uh, I'm right here with you and really appreciate what you do. Um, if you have the good fortune of going to a Cafe Gratitude or Gracias Madre, you might run into Ryland. Sometimes he's cleaning dirty dishes and do whatever needs to be done or picking up your sunglasses. Um, but I hope that you get a chance to experience uh, his work and also check out kissetheground.com. Yep. Um, and where else can people find you? Uh, yeah, those, I mean, those are the two, those are Cafe Gratitude, Gracias Madre, so yeah. Cafe Gratitude, graciasmadre.com, kissetheground.com, obviously at Cafe Gratitude, at kissetheground. Um, 
and my my individual um, Instagram is love being Ryland. It's a double entendre because I love being Ryland and I'm also a love being. Oh, uh, brilliant. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Wow. Thank you, Ryland. You've been listening to Love Extremist Radio with Ryland Engelhart of Catholic Gratitude, Gracias Madre, and Kiss the Ground. Stay tuned for the next one. Peace.